0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AcuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. We have all sorts of serious issues to discuss over the course of the next three hours. I guarantee it. But we start off with what might be the most controversial topic of the day. Heck, it might be the most controversial topic of the week. It might be the most, well, arguably, maybe the most controversial topic of the season. So here's the deal. Okay, typically, my, my wife, and believe me, I, I understand how lucky I am, she makes breakfast for me in the morning. She gets up and makes breakfast, sends me off because she knows that if she doesn't make breakfast for me, um, the chances are I'm going to eat junk somewhere along the way. And there there is there is some merit to that. Okay, so today it just doesn't work out because I have to be somewhere at 845 this morning. So we d- just didn't get breakfast. So I, I go, and I'm running all these errands. Um, so it's, it's about 10 o'clock. I'm heading into work, and I'm kind of a little bit hungry hungry, haven't had my breakfast and stuff, so I decide I am going to run through, and Fran, if you're listening, turn off the radio right now, I decide I'm going to run through the McDonald's drive through because I, I admit, as a treat every once in a while, I like the McDonald's breakfasts, so I, I'm, I'm heading past the McDonald's I go to, I, I pull in to get into the drive through line, and I immediately realize what the heck is going on? It, it's like Christmas on December 2nd, because the line at the drive through is like all the way around the building, almost out to the street. So I, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, what the heck is, is going on here? And I, I have many wonderful attributes as a person, but I, I freely admit patience is not one of them. And as I get older, I get less patient. I, I just I acknowledge I'm working on it, trying to be a better person. But I'm looking at this line at this McDonald's drive-thru, and it, it's at least a half-hour line. And I will tell you, there, there's not many things in this world that I will wait in line for for a half hour, but I guarantee you the McDonald's drive-thru is not one of them. So I kind of... You know, I have to wait till the cars move a little bit so I can position myself to get around the second row and get the heck out of there. But I remember thinking, okay, what what's going on here? It's it's not like the weather is particularly bad. So why why are people in line at the McDonald's? And the answer is today is the day that McRib is back. So for the first time, like in eight years nationwide, McDonald's is rolling is bringing back the McRib sandwich. They brought it back in some in some different areas for like a month, you know, from here here or there. But this is the national rollout, and they also had some deal where I, I guess what you could do is you could enter this contest, if you showed a picture of yourself clean-shaven and you sent it in, you could get some barcode that would get you like a free one. So they, they were given a while, uh, about like 10,000 of them, I, I think nationwide. But obviously all the people that were in line didn't didn't have free things. Now, I was kind of thinking about this. I got back to the studio. As a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620, I, I have – I have a picture of the McRib sandwich. Now, Gru's producing the show today and always. Have you ever had a McRib sandwich? Yeah, I can't remember when they came out last. If it was five, six years ago, but Eight I years had years ago. Then. Yeah, okay. Right, all right. So, I now, one of the things that I always notice, there is an art when it comes to taking pictures of food for magazine ads and television and things like that. There, there are people who actually make a living knowing how to make the stuff look good. Now, I... I'm looking at the picture of the McRib sandwich on, on, it's actually off of the McDonald's website. I've got a link to it. It doesn't even look good to me. I mean, it's this kind of like big giant hunk of sort of mystery meat with lots of sauce on it and this giant doughy bread and a couple pickles and some onions. It doesn't even look good to me. Now, I, I remember years and years and years ago, I can remember having like a McRib sandwich and. I guess I, I don't have a strong feeling about it one way or the other, other than the fact that there's no way I'd wait in line for 30 minutes for one of these. So I I posted this note up on my Twitter account. Again, you can follow me. It's at Wagner 620 um, Okay, the line at the local McDonald's drive-thru was unreal. Why? I guess because the McRib sandwich is back. Sorry, I just don't get it. It doesn't even look good to me in the pictures. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that is a very controversial statement because I understand there, like I say, just at the one McDonald's I went past, there were people... I mean, in like, we're, there, there were people who were prepared to wait 30 minutes to go buy their their McRib sandwich. Now, some of them might have had the free things, but I'm telling you, e- even if you were giving me a free sandwich, there's no way I'd wait in line for 30 minutes. It just, I do not get this. 855 616 1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Doesn't even look good to me in the pictures. All right, do you remember the McRib? Would you wait in line 30 minutes to eat it? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff
0: Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Okay, we've thrown down the gauntlet. For those of you who don't know, the, the McRib sandwich at, at McDonald's is back. It's They've rolled it out in selective markets over the last eight years, but for for eight years it has not been generally available. They rolled it out this morning. I'm driving past this McDonald's. I wasn't aware of it. The line is all the way around the building to get this McRib sandwich. Um. I'm sorry, I just don't understand. I mean, and again, I understand tastes are different, but like I said, on on Twitter, I sent out a picture of this. It doesn't even look good to, to me. You've got this kind of mystery meat covered in like this heavy sauce sitting on a really heavy bun and a couple pickles. I just, I don't get it. Matt in Oak Creek. Matt, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Hi. Uh, Like I was telling your screener, I, I would never wait a half an hour for a McRib. I wouldn't wait 30 seconds for a McRib because I would never buy one. Because I feel the same as you do. I think they're disgusting. I tried one one time, and it was just a sloppy, soggy mess. And as I told your screener, it's almost like those shamrock shakes that they come out with (laughs) that taste taste like toothpaste (laughs) you know i i don't understand the the draw to it i would never wait in line for anything if you're going to bring something back bring back something good not pressed meat
1: well okay thanks i appreciate it and again i i just i i do not get the the fascination with this i i'm i'm kind of with you as well and I, I mean i understand there's this huge cachet and obviously there's all these people that are there and they just want to get it but i'm thinking man I, I i and i don't think i have particularly sophisticated taste buds but it's like it, i say it doesn't even look good and i don't remember it being that good from from a decade ago or more brian in manitowoc brian you're on wtmj
3: <laughs> Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Uh, you know, Ed McGrib. I mean, nothing ever looks as good as it ever is going to be on television. That's just the nature of the business. But you know, I, I just can't ever see waiting in line 30 minutes for a sandwich. I mean, I I'm not a big drive-through fan myself. I mean, I always like to be looking at the menu focus you know i don't want to be pressured
4: by a guy honking because i'm taking too long to (laughs) whatever i want but uh i mean even with all this pandemic you can't i mean a lot of restaurants are only drive through
3: only and i've actually walked through because i don't like sitting in my car idling for 15 minutes 20 minutes for a a sandwich that's just me i'm just and raised and we never did that no
1: well, thanks and i I can i can imagine now see for example if if you were trying to pull through that mcdonald's drive through and you didn't realize that the reason it was so jammed was because of, of the McRib. And and you wait 20 minutes or 25 minutes and you finally get up to the board and then you're doing what you're just talking about, like looking at it and ordering it. My guess is all the people from behind you would be going back crap crazy going wait, what what do you mean? It's, we're all here for the mid- McRib. You've had 20 minutes to decide what you want. And again, I I appreciate that, um, again, I I appreciate that people have different sort of tastes. And if that's how you want to spend 25 or 30 minutes this morning waiting in line at at McDonald's to get it, um, I think it's great. All right, let's talk to, uh, let's see, we've got Danny in West Allis. Hi, Danny.
3: Hey, Jeff, how are you doing?
1: Real well, thanks. What do you think?
3: Well, okay. Normally, I agree with you about a lot of things, but today, you're thinking blasphemy against the fast food gods.
1: Okay. All right, so you are a fan of the McRib. McRib.
3: The McRib is the one thing that gives me a reason to live. (laughs)
1: Danny, 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 we have to have a talk.
3: (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, it doesn't doesn't help that I weigh 300 pounds and I'm not going to be doing any... Any swimsuit editions anytime soon for Sports Illustrated? But <laughs> I way way back years and years ago, when the when the McRib first came out, I was working at McDonald's, and I absolutely fell in love with the thing. And I was just like, "Well, my God, this is this is actually good." Yes, it does look kind of funky, but with all the other rib sandwiches that are out there, I'm like, "Hey, this thing's great now." When I called your screener, I wasn't sitting in line, but when I, when I heard about it, I'm like, oh, okay, I know what I'm doing for lunch today. So I am in line now. Okay. But here's the thing. For the people that are saying that they're not patient don't want to wait half an hour for a McRib, what about the people that will wait three or four hours in line at Krispy Kreme? Well, th- they have the giveaways there.
1: Well, no, thanks, you also no, See, I know. I again, I, I'm 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 very consistent. Now, I I think I think my favorite fast food would be Chick fil A, and they always have lines, but they move people through the lines very very well. Now, again, I, I I'm not being judgmental here. I'm just saying I do not flat out understand it. Uh, Tom in New Berlin, Tom, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, um, hi, Tom. Yeah, I, I just Googled. Hi there, how are you? Um, I just Googled on uh, McRib being healthy, <laughs> and it's very unhealthy. It's half, well, and this is actually important as a matter of health. I mean, because the, 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 the number one cause of death is uh, heart disease, second stroke, and that is caused by being overweight. And actually, okay, this is the bottom line the sandwich is, has half the daily amount of total fat, yeah. high in calories, a ton of sodium and carbs, 22 grams of fat. Seven grams of saturated fat. And I have to say, if you see the people that have died and are sick of COVID,
1: most of them are obese. Yeah, no, yeah. that's, that's no, Tom. I, again, I don't want to be judgmental to people. And, and obviously, if you're going to be eating the McRib three or four times a day, that, that's not a smart thing. Now, I mean, I, I'm also one of these people that at the same time, if you want to get an occasional fast food sandwich, I, I don't think that's going to kill you. I, but I appreciate what you're saying about the eating healthy. But, yeah, I, the, the bottom line is, with all due respect to the folks at all the various drive-thrus, if if you're looking for healthy food um, if you're looking for healthy food, um well, the bottom line is i, I think you want to stay out of the drive through Jeff you're like, let's go some text. You are such a food snob. We are empowered to make our own food decisions. no, I am many things. I am not a food snob. you would you talk to my wife she is a constant battle to stop me from eating crap. I'm just saying I do not understand. Um I do not understand the the appeal of the rib sandwich, Jeff. I'm enjoying my Popeyes chicken sandwich for lunch, which people have waited a long time online for as well. Jeff, the McRib is awful, but just wait till they bring back the Szechuan dipping sauce for the McNuggets. Uh, there will be chaos, um, Jeff. Like it or not, somebody must like them because they keep bringing them back on occasion. If you look at the length of the drive-through line, it must be a winner for them. But to your point, I. Don't get it either, um, Jeff. If those things, Jeff, those things are disgusting. But up here in Green Bay, um, uh, Popeyes is open. People are waiting three hours in line for sandwiches, and on a regular basis, the Starbucks line is like thirty minutes long. It's ridiculous, too. Yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. That whole thing about the Starbucks thing. There, I mentioned this during the pandemic. Uh, the, the Starbucks near where I live was. It had a drive-through, so it was one of the ones that did not close. And there was you—you you drive by that, and, and there was a line that was at least forty-five minutes to an hour on a daily basis to get a cup of coffee. Now, I just ah, man, um, let's see, Jeff. In regard to the caller that mentioned the Shamrock Shakes, try them with crumbled-up Girl Scout Thin Mint cookies and Irish whiskey. Huh, that would not be a health thing anyways. Jeff, I would not wait in line for anything at McDonald's. Um, On the day when Quick Trip has their rib sandwich, it is much, much better. Yeah, A lot of people are making that point, that if you want a McRib or the equivalent of that, you, you go to Quick Trip. Jeff, the McRib is the holy grail of all fast food Andres. If I had my choice, I'd only eat the McRib for the rest of my life. Well, my guess is if if you, to the point of one of our callers was making earlier, if you're only going to eat ribs, period, you, you, <laughs> you're probably going to be taking some time off uh, your life. Jeff, I wouldn't even wait 30 minutes if Saz was giving away free ribs. Um, Jeff, uh, Quick Trip has a similar sandwich every Tuesday. I think it's much better than the McRib. A lot of people thinking about that. Jeff, I'd have forgotten all about it, but now that you mentioned it, I'm on my way to McDonald's for my McRib. Well, that's... Um, great. So I'm just telling you if you're driving past McDonald's today and you're wondering why why is that line there? It's because for better or worse as they say the sauciest moment of the year is here. The McRib sandwiches are back nationwide. If you're enjoying it, enjoy it. Otherwise, like I say, I just don't get it.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Just when you thought it could not get worse for the Milwaukee Police Department, in Wade's Tom Barrett, there there are some the Fire and Police Commission is just a, a complete and total dumpster car in in a clown car act. We you know we've talked about that before, but I, I'm looking at some of the things that okay. So Barrett has now nominated somebody to um, take take the place of somebody who resigned on the Fire and Police Commission. So he's picked a woman named Amanda Avalos, um, who's Um, Well, she's currently with this something called LIT, Leaders Igniting Transformation. So he's appointing her. He wants her. She's got to be confirmed. He wants her to go to the Fire and Police Commission. All right, here, here, here's her deal. Her, her big deal with this group that she's with has been pushing Milwaukee public schools to get rid of police patrols outside their buildings. Um, her group has also been one of these groups that's out there pushing for defunding police services in order to reinvest tax dollars into social programs. So at a time when Milwaukee has a, a homicide rate that might be at an all-time record, at a time where you have out-of-control violence, at a time where you have people presumably from Milwaukee now spreading out to the suburbs and, and carjacking people at will, okay, the, the mayor's answer to this is, okay, let's find somebody from the Fire and Police Commission who's all about defunding the police and implementing social change. All right, then his position, he's also appointed, uh, wants to appoint somebody to be the um, executive director. They, they can't find anybody to to do that job because it's so dysfunctional so what he's appointed the guy that he's named to be the executive director an assistant state public defender with a a history of of working at, at legal aid I mean can't you find a prosecutor can't you find somebody who might have some semblance of being at least even a little bit pro-law enforcement. But, of course, that's not what's going on in the city of Milwaukee right now. It's, okay, let's pander to all these groups that are out there, and and let's view the police as bad, and let's figure out ways that we can defund the police. Let's put people on the Fire and Police Commission who have a record of, again, wanting to get the the police away from the public schools. Let's put people on the Fire and Police Commission who have a role of being again, aggressively as public defenders, sort of that anti-police thing. I mean, our job is to, all right. let's criticize the the role that the police do. Let's try to figure out ways that we can exploit mistakes they've made. That's who's going to be your executive director. At some point in time, you, you seriously wonder whether or not Tom Barrett is completely and totally punched out when it comes to issues of crime in the community. Now, the word is, this is his last term, so maybe he just doesn't care what kind of mess he leaves the city in. But right now, when it comes to crime, it is a major league mess. And you look at what he's doing with the Fire and Police Commission, and you get the idea that it's not getting any better.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All
1: right. I launch into this topic, fully understanding that this might be one that gets me called into a meeting and. My goal in life is to avoid meetings. But here's the headline. I, I saw the story on the Today's TMJ4 website. We used to share a corporate identity. And by the way, I, I think I think Today's TMJ4 does really good work a lot of times. Not this time. Here, here's the headline. Police disperse protesters in Germantown Tuesday night after disorderly conduct incidents. Got Got my attention. What's going on in Germantown? protests erupted in Germantown area as law enforcement there attempted to disperse people Tuesday night. According to Germantown police, protests began around 5 p.m. at Alt Bauer Park. Protesters left the park on foot and in vehicles, followed by police. A disorderly conduct incident occurred around Council Bluffs Drive and Pilgrim Road, involving one of the protesters and a counter-protester. Police say that a megaphone was thrown at a Germantown squad car causing minor damage. After the incident, protesters walked and drove back to Altbauer Park. They left around 9 p.m. according to police. Video on social media showed a tense situation between a group of people and law enforcement officers. One video shows members of the state patrol assisting law enforcement. Germantown police was assisted by numerous law enforcement agencies during this incident. Okay. Now let me just stop there for a second. You've got this incident that goes on, some protests in Germantown. We've now gone through the whole story, and what is missing? Who the protesters were, what they were doing there in Germantown, it's not mentioned at all. Who who is this? What is going on in, in Germantown? And then when I just checked, the story's been updated. As of now, it is still unconfirmed what the protest was about and whether anyone was arrested. Well, let me help the Channel 4 News Department, because, you know, all you have to do is do a little digging and understand what happened here. If you were to yesterday, go on the Facebook page for the People's Revolution Milwaukee. Now, now who are the People's Revolution? The People's Revolution is this relatively small group of protesters who were responsible for a lot of the disruptions in Wauwatosa over the course of the last several months. These are the folks, together with a, a couple other sort of like splinter small groups, who took over the cheesecake factory outside of Mayfair you know screaming at patrons who who ran through uh Mayfair a couple times trying to close it down things like that that's who the people's revolution is the people's revolution Milwaukee and one of the things that they have been obsessed with is the Joseph Mensah case out of Wauwatosa you know, Joseph Mentz, of course, the police officer who was involved in three justified shootings, who has subsequently reached a settlement agreement. And he's not with the police department anymore. That's who the police that's who the that's who the people's revolution is. So if you would have gone to their Facebook page yesterday, um, you would have seen this entry. Uh, it's day 187 of protest slash action. Let me stop here for a minute. You know, these protesters, day 187, you know what I would love to see somebody from the local news media do? When, when you go out and you cover these protests, you know what I would love to see him do? Go up to one of these protesters and ask a very simple question. What do you do for a living? I mean, I, see, I mean, wouldn't you just love to know that? What do you, just out of curiosity, what do you do? It's day 187. What? What do you do? Do you work? I mean, do do you, how, now I understand in today's day and age, we, you you don't have to pay your utility bills because you, you know, we can't turn that out and you, you can't be evicted for not paying rent. But I would be curious, what do you do? You know, and you see the same people at all these different protests. What do you do for a living? I mean, do do you work? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I look, I get off at 3 o'clock, but I, I mean, I I guess maybe I could have driven out to Germantown for this. But then you have people protesting in the evening. I'm just wondering, just once, I would like to see some news reporter go up and say, I'm curious, this is your fifth protest in a row. What do you do? I mean, but besides, like, show up at protests in any event. Okay, so... Uh, this is what was on the Facebook page. Today, that would be yesterday, we will be meeting at Alt Bauer Park in Germantown at 4:30 p.m. and we will be leaving at 5:30 p.m. So all right, note to today's TMJ4, this this was a, a protest organized by the People's Revolution. They were going out to Germantown. Now, it gets better because you might say, what are you doing out in Germantown? Yesterday was serial, I'm quoting from their Facebook page, was serial killer Joseph Mensah's last day as a police officer at the Wauwatosa Police Department, where he was allowed to discharge his weapon 19 times and take three black and brown men's lives all in the span of five years. There have been thousands of emails released to the public with so many complaints against Mensa, and nothing was done. Barry Weber, who is the chief of police, could have done his job, but chose not to. So now Mensa's gone. So now the group is upset with, with police chief Barry Weber. All right. He, that would be Weber, decided to give the killer cop an opportunity to resign with a nice severance package. Well, actually, I mean, I, again, I don't want the facts to get in the way of a good story. But what happened is the Fire and Police Commission ended up cutting a deal because they recognized that if they had just fired Officer Mensa, they would be looking at a major league lawsuit that could have cost the taxpayers in Wauwatosa a lot more dough. So they, they cut this deal. And as I've said before, I think Officer Mensa was treated harshly and unfairly by by the mob, but nevertheless I'll be the first to recognize that it's you know, sometimes it's best to move on. Okay, so that I'm quoting from the Facebook page. Weber, that would be Chief Weber, has shown that he is incapable of doing what he is supposed to do, so we are calling for Barry Weber to step down. Alright, so, protest in Germantown trying to get Barry Weber, the Wauwatosa police chief, to to stand down. Matter of fact, uh, Channel 58 reports group upset with former Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Mensah. Um, you know, they're they're organizing um out in in Germantown. So if, if you're trying to connect the dots here, you might be saying, huh, OK, well, we we. We know what the group was, even though they're not identified on the one TV station. We, we know what the group was, and we know that they're still upset with what went on in Wauwatosa. But why are they in Germantown? All right. Well, here's the answer. It's because Wauwatosa Police Chief Barry Weber lives in Germantown. So that's why I will connect the dots for some news reporters who didn't do that. So that's why they're, they're out there. They they show up and I, it wasn't a particularly large group, but they show up with the idea, I think, of trying to get somewhere close to where Wauwatosa Police Chief Barry Weber lives in Germantown for the point of protesting at his house. So that's the story. And then there were counter protesters, and apparently it's somebody that threw a megaphone at the you know, police off op- uh, at a police car and damaged that, etc. Unclear whether there were any sort of um, arrests that were made, but the police were apparently ready for this and were prepared not to. This group who decided to travel out to Germantown to protest at Barry Weber's house, they weren't allowed him. I don't think they allowed him to get like lots and lots of traction. All right. So that's the story behind what happened in Germantown. But it raises this larger issue. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The latest tactic that some of these groups are using is not just to protest at city hall, not just to march in communities, but rather they are trying to target elected and appointed officials and go to their homes. This group or similar groups have been doing this with Walwatosa Mayor Dennis McBride for the course of over the course of, of the last several weeks, maybe months, showing up in residential neighborhoods Generally speaking, after dark, creating a disruption, trying to, I, I don't know, disturb the peace. I, I don't know what the message is. You show up at the mayor's house and you start screaming. This was, now this was one step removed from that because it's not even the community where this is involved. But, okay, so we've got the local police chief who happens to live in a different community. Let's go out and let's try to protest at his house. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Look, th- this is, this is the latest example in the protest techniques. You know, you, you saw it this summer where you would have groups that would come up and, and scream at office holders while they were out. Now it's, let's take the protests to people's homes. Even in communities, where they don't even live. I mean, even in communities where, where, like I say, in this case, Barry Weber, he's the chief of police in Wauwatosa. He doesn't even live in Germantown, but let's go out and let's try to harass him at his house. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. As far as I'm concerned, if these protest groups decide that they're going to go into private neighborhoods and try to disturb the peace, what should happen is they should be arrested for disturbing the peace. I can't walk down If I've got a beef with the mayor of Shorewood, all right, and I get a couple of my buddies and we decide that we're going to go drive down the street—I don't, I have no idea who the mayor of Shorewood is, don't even—and start honking our horns and screaming at nine o'clock at night, all right? I, I think that the neighbors of the mayor of Shorewood has have every right. To come in and say, hey, knock it off. These people are disturbing the peace. This goes too far. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know these groups think they're being clever. I know they think they're trying to get attention. Obviously, a lot of them have a lot of time on their hands because they show up day after day after day with protests. But at some point in time, do we say enough is enough? And when it comes to targeting elected and particularly appointed officials at their homes after dark, right, is that crossing the line? My answer is you bet. We discuss in a moment.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. I mean, at some point in time, Does the silent majority have a right to look at some of these crazy protests and and say, you know, enough is uh, enough. And and my answer would be, yeah, Jeff, I'd like to know what the purpose is and what they think would be accomplished by protesting in Germantown. Oh, the the reason they went out to Germantown is the Wauwatosa police chief lives in Germantown. So I I don't know. Maybe it's to try to embarrass him, to scream at him, to demand that that he quit by going out to his house thinking. And I will tell you this. Um, I've known Barry Weber, I mean Barry Weber was in law enforcement when I was in law enforcement a long time ago. Barry Weber, I guarantee you he, 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 there there might become a time when when he gets to a certain point where he says okay i i'm I'm ready to retire. Barry Weber is not going to be intimidated by a mob of loud people who decide that they're going to go out to his neighborhood and try to create disruptions. Jeff, everybody needs a hobby, yeah, I guess that um, <laughs> um Jeff um. I think, um, let's see, uh, I would like to see these protesters actually do something positive instead of just complain. Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. See, this is the thing. It, it's like you, you wonder what they're trying to accomplish because Joseph Mensa is gone. If the idea was, let's run Mensah out of town, they, they succeeded. They, they, they got rid of Joseph Mensa. Now, if the argument is, and again, on the Facebook page, you're describing him as a serial killer. Well, OK, the district, then you should be complaining to the district attorney who issued no charges in connection with the case because he found all the various shootings to be justified. So, OK, you know what? Why complain about the police chief? Well, he could have fired him. Well, no, it's the Fire and Police Commission that ultimately decided to issue the settlement um, because they recognized that they were going to have a lot of liability if. They, they just went ahead and fired him. And but no, let's show up in Germantown and let's get into altercations with the police department there. Jeff, question. Don't protesters need a permit to gather with a pandemic right now? Well, that is another you know, very, very interesting question. Now, I mean, Germantown is what Washington County. So it's not it's not Milwaukee County. It's not the city of Milwaukee. But, yeah, I mean, last time I checked. You know, when you had the, the stop the steel pro Trump rally that was held outside of, of Mayfair, or you no, know, that was held at Serb Hall a couple weeks ago. Remember, you had the Milwaukee health inspectors who showed up and ended up closing that down. And, you know, and, and look, i I, I was not a supporter of that sort of stop the steal rally, but yeah, it is interesting. Okay. I, I th- thought we're in the middle of a pandemic here. So, you know, I thought we were not supposed to be having these like large gatherings of, you know um people that are there um let 's see um let 's see uh somebody' saying well jeff you you, you said you 're curious as to what they do, well, people can work third shift or own a business um yeah right well that's I, my guess is that a lot of the people that were participating in like day 187 of these protests, my guess is they're not working third shift or owning a business, but maybe so. But nevertheless, my, my question remains, wouldn't you be interested to see some of the news media when they're out there? Just, just go up to some of these folks, the, the people that are there every night at the different protests, and just ask them, what do you do for... Uh, A living. I mean, what what do you do for a living? Jeff, the right to protest doesn't give anybody the right to break existing laws, and those laws should be equally enforced. Um, And I think, you know, that's part of the issue. Jeff, I'm tired of all these bullies. Enough is enough. Arrest them all. Well, I I guess the the question becomes, are you, in fact, disturbing the, the peace? Now, can you walk... You know, through the streets of Germantown, can you get into altercations with the police department without without otherwise being held accountable? That's my question. Jeff, remember the singers in Madison? Sure. After a while, I, a while, I stopped wondering how crazy someone would have to be to think that they were accomplishing something when they show up day after day after Day, Jeff. Nobody is protesting the shootings going on every day or the carjackings. Um, and what do these people do um, to to work? Um, that's you know that is an interesting thing as well. If you're looking at all the stuff that you could go on and you could protest about, I mean, boy, we're about ready to set a record a record for homicides in the city of Milwaukee. You're going to have to go back to 1991. It would be interesting again this for somebody in the news media that goes out to cover day 187 of the protest by the people's revolution to say, do you understand what's going on in the city of Milwaukee? And and, and maybe, maybe we should be protesting in some of these high crime areas, for example, um, with the different killings that are going on in the street. I, I just, I throw that out there as a question, Jeff, I support the idea of protesting to bring measure change to community. But when the group is constantly rearranging their goals and motives, I can assume they're just out there for a thrill or a false sense of importance. Yeah, what do you accomplish by, by going out to Germantown where the Wauwatosa chief of police lives and trying to demonstrate? Is it that you're hoping that a whole bunch of his neighbors will go and say, Barry? You know, you, you had, you had these, the people's revolution. Milwaukee was out here. And, and so, we you know, we, they, they want you to resign and we think that you should step down. I mean, really? Um, <laughs> really? I, You know, come on, Jeff. They need to shut these groups down. Heavy fines arrest everybody involved, disturbing the peace, public nuisance, obstructing traffic and every other charge they can dream up. Frankly, I'm more concerned about protesting at private citizens' houses than elected officials. But both are unacceptable. Yeah, see, that's the tactic that's out there now. Let's go out to people's homes and let's try to create a disruption. Story out of Washington today, the um Mitch McConnell. Who's the Senate leader and Susan Collins, just reelected senator from Maine? Apparently, in the last day or so, you had this these, these this group that went out to their houses and and littered. They threw all these like body bags on on the steps to their houses and the front lawns and things like that. It's like here we're going to go to people's homes, not their place of business, not their not their um, not their capital headquarters offices. We're going to go and we're going to go out to their houses and we're going to create a disruption because. Well, we we think we can. So anyhow, if you're wondering what went on Germantown and why it was day 187 of the protests, don't think too much was accomplished yesterday. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay,
1: stepping on some toes in the first hour of the program. McRib Sandwich is back. I don't get it. And if you follow me on Twitter, I, I just I, I sent this out. It was one of the many rhetorical comments I offered during our conversation about the, this, this ragtag group of protesters, like Day 187 of the protest, who decided to show up in Germantown. Because they're upset with the Walla police chief who didn't fire Joseph Mensa, I it's it, it you know. But again, my my overall question is not not just this is ineffective, but as I pointed out, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. For all the protesters who show up day after day at rally after rally in community after community, wouldn't you like somebody in the media to ask them a simple question, namely, what is it you do for a living? I mean, I, I just I, – I, you ponder this, and I'm not trying to be flip about it. I have a great job. Okay, I, I have more free time than most people have with, with their jobs. But still, by the time I get ready to work and prepare for work and do the show, I, and then, you know, you, you've got the other errands that you have to run in, in life, and then you've got all these things to take care of. I mean, it's like, who – who has the time to show up night after night after night in community after community after community? I mean, it just I'd like to see that question. What is it you do actually for a, a living? And again, maybe it's people who own their own businesses or maybe it's people who are independently wealthy or maybe it's third shift workers. <clears throat> um, but I, I'm just I would be curious. That would be an interesting challenge to the media. Start asking the people that show up at these protests. What? Hey, this is the fourth time I've seen you out this week. What, what is it exactly you do? Just kind of curious. All right. In continuing to step on toes, there, I, I sent out a tweet about this yesterday. Look, I, I understand that there are some people who, who just can't let the election go. And I understand that some of you are very upset with me because I, I have. I, I just I see no widespread evidence of voter fraud. And when I see people on behalf, in this case, of the Trump campaign going to court, trying to allege that, that hundreds of thousands of otherwise legitimate ballots, in including ballots that were cast like by, by me, should be tossed out because... Of, of an interpretation, well, this is how we think. We know we've never interpreted the law this way, and we didn't interpret the law this way when Donald Trump won in 2016, but we now want you to interpret this, and we want you to throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots. That I admit, that makes my, my head... Explode Now, I understand that there's some people out there who are clinging to this idea that the election was stolen. But my point has always been, if the Democrats stole this election, they're, they're about the worst thieves imaginable, because this was the year that you were supposed to have the giant blue wave. And what happened is Republicans picked up seats in Congress, in the House of Representatives. Republicans who were supposed to get crushed in the Senate didn't get crushed in the Senate. President Trump was supposed to lose in a landslide. That did not happen. Happen, And Republicans have complete control, I believe, of 31 of the state houses across the country. So if this was this big Democrat motion to steal the election, they sure didn't do a very good job of it. So I I just, at some point in time, I think it's bad for democracy to encourage people to believe that that elections don't matter. There's too many elections out there that are too close. And, and if people get the message that, well, we don't have to vote because the election's been stolen, that's, that's a very, very bad election. That's a very bad message. To me, the message should be, if your guy or gal lost, if your candidate lost, what you need to do is you need to figure out what it was. What, what happened? What did the other side do? Was the message bad? Um, there's, there's something that the other side did to get out their voters more likely and then use that to figure out how you win the election the next time it comes up in a year or two years or, or in four years. That to me is the constructive message that you want to send instead of, oh, the whole thing's crooked because I'm, I'm here to tell you there, there's no evidence that the whole thing is, is crooked. And there may very well be examples. For example, you know, in Cedarburg, they, they caught some woman who was trying to, Vote for her deceased partner. Okay, but but they caught her. There, there may I hear these anecdotal examples of well, there was some organizer that you know went into some nursing home somewhere and filled out ballots on behalf of a couple of the residents. Look, I don't know if that happened or not, but but if it did, okay, the people who know about it should report it to the authorities, and the authorities should report it. And if you had something like that, okay, the person responsible for, for it should be should be prosecuted. But the idea that there's Tens of thousands of of stolen votes out there. I'm just sorry that there's no evidence for that. So with that lead up, I mean, yesterday we we really hit a a new low. And there's no other way to describe it. This, This Sidney Powell, who is also, like me, a former federal prosecutor who's just gone completely nuts. She's the one that was was out at this press conference a week or so ago with Rudy Giuliani, and and she was the one that was going off on this this. It was too weird for the Trump campaign. This thing about, well, Hugo Chavez, who's been dead for seven years, and Russia and China and all this. It was just kind of this convoluted sort of craziness that, like I say, even the Trump campaign was looking at it and saying, we we want to disassociate ourselves with her. In any event, Sidney Powell files a lawsuit yesterday. Now, this is a different lawsuit than the one that the Trump campaign filed. So what, what it does is it seeks to overturn the results of the election. Well, okay. And then it makes all these different demands. For example, it demands records. Presumably, I think what they were asking for is records related to the recount either in, in Madison or in Milwaukee. But, but they don't ask for records in Madison or Milwaukee. They ask for records from some building in Detroit. It's like okay, really, and then, then one of the named plaintiffs. Now, now lawyers can't just file lawsuits on on their own behalf. What you have to have is you have to have clients. So, one of the named plaintiffs in this lawsuit seeking to overturn the state election results is a guy named Derek Van Orden. Now, we didn't talk a lot about Derek Van Orden. Um, in leading up to the election, and, and maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I should have, because Derek Van Orden was the Republican candidate running for Congress against Ron Kind. Ron Kind is the long-serving Democrat who represents the La Crosse area. All right, and and Van Orden did a heck of a job. It was it was a very very competitive race. I believe the most competitive race uh, of all the different eight congressional races. Van Orden lost, but he lost by about ten thousand votes. So that this lawsuit that that's filed names Van Orden as a plaintiff. In other words, says that, okay, this is Van Orden is suing. And and she's the you know, she says, I'm representing him, I'm representing lacrosse county Republican chairman Bill Fehan. And what we're doing is we want a new election, um and we want we want a new election for Congress, and we want Tony Evers to be ordered to certify the election for Trump instead of Biden. Oh, okay, well, none of it's going to happen. But here's the dazzling detail: somebody goes up to Van Orden. This is the guy whose name is on the lawsuit, the Republican candidate who did really well, and said, "We're just curious. You know, what, what's your thought about this lawsuit?" And he says, "What lawsuit?" And they say, "Well, the lawsuit that you're named on. You know, your your name is the top of of this lawsuit, suing to to have the results of your election overturned." And he says, "I i i." Don't know what to tell you. I have nothing to do with, with this lawsuit. His statement is, I learned through social media today that my name was included in a lawsuit without my permission. I, now, let me just take a step back and put on my recovering lawyer hat. This, this is just crazy town. You, there, I mean, this is the type of stuff which gets you in all sorts of ethical trouble. I cannot imagine filing a lawsuit without the permission of knowledge of or permission of your client. I mean, but, but that's what, that's what the Sydney Powell did. Van Orden goes on to say, to be clear, I am not involved in the lawsuit seeking to overturn the election in Wisconsin, despite the fact that his name is there as a listed plaintiff. I, I sent out a tweet about this yesterday, and you can follow me at 620 WTMJ. I, I understand that we, we, we disagree. With uh, the whole notion about I, some people, you know, want to see this whole thing litigated and hope that the election's going to be overturned. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. But if we can agree about nothing else, can we agree that Sidney Powell is a complete and total train wreck, filing a lawsuit and without permission of a named plaintiff, serious factual errors? I mean, no wonder these cases get no traction. I mean, seriously, when you've got lawyers going around doing this kind of stuff, it's no wonder that, that I mean, if there is any sort of legitimate fraud out there, it gets lost in the, the overall sloppiness and fill in the blank for whatever you want. Who sues somebody, you know, alleging that you're representing a client, a guy who ran for Congress, and turns out he's got nothing to do with the lawsuit? I mean, wow. All right, when we come back, the good news is, The COVID-19 vaccine is going to start to be more available. The bad news is whether or not you're going to have to take it. I'll explain and we'll discuss.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Hey, do you remember your favorite gift as a child? Maybe it was a hula hoop maybe an eight-track tape player, maybe a book, maybe a new record. Some families aren't so fortunate, however, and that's where you come in. Capco's Kids to Kids Toy Drive is celebrating its 15th year, and this year, the need is actually greater than ever. Please join us this Friday, two days from now, December 4th, for a day-long Radiothon as we raise money to make sure every child has a memorable Christmas. All proceeds benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. For more information, go to WTMJ.com. Yeah, for the... uh, um, this, I don't remember the last time I did a remote, um, but I'm, I'm going to be out at Capco from noon until three in the big talking box as part of this. Um, first, and again, I, I was talking to one of our engineers. I said, well, maybe we're getting back to at least closer to a sense to normal that there, it's December, it's the kids, the kids, Radiothon and events. And we're putting Wagner in the big cold talking box out in Grafton. So that will be fun. All right. Good news. And then maybe not good news, depending on how you look at it. The reports today are in the United Kingdom, they have given the go-ahead for, you know, one of these two vaccines for COVID to start being administered on an emergency basis that that's not in the U S right now, but the thinking is that whether it's, it's Moderna's or Pfizer or, or Pfizer or whatever in, in the very near future, probably, certainly by the end of the month, the, the vaccine is going to start to be distributed. Now, they had meetings over the course of the last couple days, and the general uh, agreement is as they start to roll out the vaccine, the question is is who gets it first? And the general consensus is that um, health care workers should get the vaccine first, along with long-term care residents, you know, people in in nursing homes and, and things of the like. And I think if you think about that, it, it makes eminent sense. It, it's just where is the need the greatest, which isn't to say that, you know um, – Somebody who's 35 years old who gets COVID can't have really, really bad results. But you you, you play the odds and you say, OK, well, all right, the, the healthcare workers, they're on the front line. You know, they run the risk of being exposed to this. So let's get them the vaccines and let's get the people who are most vulnerable. And those are going to be the people typically in the long term health care and that stuff. So so that makes sense. Um The estimate is that by the first quarter, though, or. Certainly by the first half of the year, the vaccine will be readily available for lots and lots of other people. Now, my guess is it's going to be prioritized. And I don't know that there's going to be enough to go around. So you can say that by June, everybody's had the two doses that you're supposed to get. But but it's going to be rolled out. And I, I think certainly in the first quarter or by the second quarter, lots of people are going to have access to it. For many of us, and we've talked about this before in the program, it, it, it's a no-brainer. I, I, I get the flu shot every year. I, I get various vaccines. I've never had any significant adverse reaction. I sit down. I, I talk to my doctor. I say, Doc, what do you think? And he always says, well, okay, I, you, you never had adverse reactions. I recommend you get it. So for me, as soon as this vaccine is available, I'm, I'm going to get it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to push my way to the front of the line and say give it to me before you, you give it to somebody at a nursing home. But like I say, once it's generally available and to whatever category or class of patient I fit in, I'm, I'm going to get it. it, it, it for me, again, no, no question about this. Many of you are in that same boat. I mean, as soon as you can get it, you're going to get it, just like you get the flu shot, et cetera. For other people, though, you're not so sure. Maybe it's that you don't like the vaccines. Maybe that you're worried that they're being rolled out too quickly. All sorts of different reasons that are there. Okay, here's where it gets interesting. Let's say the vaccine is available. Let's say that your employer decides that they want you to have it. Now, it's not uncommon right now. If you work in the healthcare area, you you, you have to get a flu shot. There's just no there's no choice about it, you know, and if you don't get a flu shot, you just don't go to work. Obviously, I think everybody in the healthcare industry is going to be in that same situation. You've gotten the flu shot, you're going to have to get this vaccine unless you've got some really good medical reason not to, but otherwise you're you're going to get it. But what about other non-healthcare related industries? Now, if you work at a place like where I work, we we are very very concerned. A good car mo- company I work for does a great job. They are very very concerned about trying to make sure that people are are healthy. You know, we have we only have a skeleton crew of people here at the at the station. Um, people working remotely; they've been working remotely for you know the better part of the, the last nine months because again, management is very concerned about trying to keep people healthy. And it's something that I think a lot of us respect. So once the vaccine becomes available, what happens if your employer says, OK, look, um, we, we want you back in the office because, you know, we we've been working remotely for nine months or a year. But we want you back in the office. And the deal is we want you to get vaccinated. Vaccines available. So unless you have some medical reason that you can present us that says that you're you're not eligible for this, we think that you should have it because we don't want you getting sick. We don't want you potentially coming in and spreading this if you are sick to somebody who maybe because they've got a compromised immune system or whatever, that they haven't been able to get the shot. 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate mortgage talk and text line. Common in the healthcare for employers to require their employees to be vaccinated. All right. Should employers across the board be able to require you to get the COVID vaccine as a condition of coming back to work. And let's say they decide that, okay, you know, you can safely get this. We're not going to let you work remotely anymore. If you want to continue working here, you have to get vaccinated. Is that a reasonable position? Should employers be allowed to do that? 855-616-1620. We discuss.
0: Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: 855 616 1620. That's the acunet Mortgage talk and text line. You know, let, let's talk about this in practical terms. Like I say, if if you work in the healthcare field, you're going to be first in line to get the COVID vaccination, and chances are your employer is going to require you to do that. Um, that's That's been the way it's gone with, for example, like flu shots. But typically, you're not required by your employer to get flu shots outside of the healthcare field. So let's imagine a situation, you're I um, I don't know, you're you're a checker at one of the big box retailers or grocery stores or, or whatever, and your employer comes to you and says, okay, here, here's the deal, um, you are now eligible for this, I want you to get the COVID vaccine because you're going to be interacting with the general public and I don't want you to take the risk that you're gonna get somebody sick. Should they be able to do that? eight five five six one six one six twenty? And if you say no, should they be able to fire you? Let's start with David in Oconomowoc. Hi, David. You're on WTMJ.
4: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I, ab- I absolutely think that employers have every right to uh, mandate vaccination, to, regardless of the field of employment. They own the business. And they uh, can do what they want with it. They could sell it to another person if they wanted to. Um, but you also as an employee have the right to refuse the vaccine. Yeah, I think rights come repercussions. So if you exercise your right to mandate a vaccination, you may lose some of your very good employees. And as an employee if you refuse to receive the vaccine that's been mandated, you may lose your job. So
1: so um, you think yeah, they should? Think you that's think that's they so should so be so able efficient. to? You think they should be able to fire people for refusing to get the vaccination?
4: Well, or maybe rather than fire them, they you take them off the premium preferred mm-hmm. um, health insurance you put them into the smokers' rates because we know smokers have more health concerns and that's why they pay more. So maybe you say, okay, if you don't get the shot, your uh, health insurance rate double. You make the choice give them some options like that rather than
1: firing them okay well thanks for calling i mean i guess and see that's going to be what the fundament obviously there's i think clearly there's going to be a lot of carrot as opposed to the stick that that's that's there um and and it is by the way not a necessarily settled sort of thing especially since the the first batches of the the COVID vaccine that's going to come out, it's going to be what they call an emergency use approval. And that's not what the flu shot is. So the fact that it's very unclear under the law, without getting too deep into the weeds, it's very unclear as to whether the flu you could require somebody to get the emergency use type of thing at the end of the day, my guess is that's probably going to be the the case, but this is these are the issues i mean if you're what if you're in a job that you you have to interact with the public so is that treated differently than a job? say, where you don't interact with the public, where, I, I don't know, you're 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 by yourself in a cubicle or you're working, you know, outside on a construction site or something else where you're, you're not interacting with the public, you might only be interacting with your coworkers. Would that, in fact, change the dynamic? Should it change the dynamic? Let's talk to Jim in Oconomowoc. Hi, Jim, you're on WTMJ.
3: Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, as I understand... Um, One of the sticking points in the current negotiation for COVID relief in Congress is the ability for employees to um, sue uh, their employers if they get COVID. Well, if that's the case, then the employer should be able to mandate that uh, someone get a COVID vaccine. You just can't have one without the other.
1: Do you think... If they did, if, if they did mandate the COVID vaccine, do you think that there would be a lot of people who would either quit their jobs or or refuse to do it and risk getting fired?
3: I think there'd be a, a few of those folks, but I think I think most people are going to wait in line to get the yeah. COVID vaccine. Uh, I mean, it's anecdotal. I don't have any yeah. hard data on that, but certainly uh, that would seem to be the case
1: yeah i think i guess here, here's my assessment and you make a very very good point you're, you're right that's that it's one of the hang-ups now is the question of of liability if if i if I run a big box retail store and I say, you've got to come in and you've got to work at the, on the line and you get sick, um, because somebody comes in and they're not wearing their mask properly or whatever, I mean, d- does the employer have liability? And you're right. This is the flip side. If you're trying to protect people from that, should you be able to require it? This is going to be an interesting legal question because, because like I say, flu shots are mandated in the healthcare industry, but as a general rule, People outside the healthcare industry don't find employers mandating the flu shot. And I think you're going to find that the same thing. I think that there's going to be a lot of employers out there who are going to encourage their employees to get the COVID vaccine, but are going to stop short of mandating it because they're. Again, worried about number one. What what about the people who who just refuse to do this? And so, you know, are you going to have to fire all them? Secondly, I think there is going to be a reluctance to mandate it because, again, it's a new vaccine. I, I'm I'm not worried to get it. In my, if if my doctor says it's safe, I, I'm getting it. But there there is always, I guess, that concern if you're, in the back of your mind, if you're an employer and you mandate that your employees get it as a condition of work, and then. X percentage, even if it's a really small percentage, have an adverse reaction to it. Okay. Then have you exposed yourself to liability? So I don't think that there's going to be, I don't think employers outside the healthcare field are going to be rushing to require people to do it. I think they're going to be doing everything they possibly can to encourage, um, this. Uh, Jeff, the state Republicans want the COVID package to not require employees to get the vaccine. Yeah, I think I, I remember reading um, one of those aspects of it. Um, let's see, Jeff. I should not be required, but if 35% of people do not get it, then so be it. 35% of the population getting COVID at some point will not overwhelm our health care system. Um, so if they choose, let them get sick. Well, the the, the the problem, it's not just you. The problem is, like, for example, the healthcare industry. Why do they make Healthcare employees get the flu shots it's not just because they they don't want their employees getting sick which is which is obviously true they don't want their employees getting sick but they don't you don't want some nurse for example coming in with the flu and being around patients with compromised immune systems and things like that and then giving those patients the flu that I think that's that's the concern in the healthcare industry and, and that would be the concern I think in other fields as well but um you know that's it jeff don't discount the fact that there might be some unforeseen side effects down the road that employers could be held liable for if a vaccine was mandated which again would be one of the reasons they wouldn't another text jeff employers should absolutely be allowed to require the vaccine i think from a legal perspective i think at the end of the day once it's widely available I think employers will be allowed to require it. Whether or not employers do actually require it is something completely and totally different. Jeff, in a free society, you can't force a person to get a vaccine. Then there's the question of religious freedom if vaccines are against your religion. Well, okay, my only comment would be, putting aside the religious issue for a minute in a free society you're right you can't force a person to get a vaccine but most people in their employment they're they're what they call at will employees you can be you can quit for any reason or no reason with no notice and as a general rule you can be let go for any reason or no reason it's not as long as you're not being let go for an illegal reason so the question would be if if an employer says you got to get the vaccine um you don't have to But that doesn't mean that the employer then can't take some adverse job action, namely firing you. Like I say, the way this is going to all um, work out, I think, is that for most fields, employers will encourage people to do it. They will not mandate it. Hopefully enough people will feel comfortable enough getting this that we get a lot closer to that herd immunity. Because I don't know about you, but the sooner we get past this pandemic, the sooner we get closer back to normal, it it can't happen soon enough for me.
0: Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Now, this is in the category of adding insult to injury. And and I, I wrestle with the right reaction to this, but, but hear me up. I understand that there's been controversies since the pandemic occurred. I have been very critical of Governor Tony Evers with regard to the the the, the safer at home and the the massive shutdown that to me was done w- without any regard for what really made sense. Let's let's shut down everything. Let's shut down the small jewelry stores, but we'll let Walmart sell watches. Let let's let's pick and choose without again thinking about is. Is something that we're requiring to shut down? Does is it really contributing to the spread of COVID nineteen or not? And that's been my position. Yeah. I know some of you disagree with that. That, that. That's all well and good. Now, the the one thing I think that we can all agree on is that the response of the Department of Workforce Development to the unemployment problem caused as a result of COVID has been absolutely unacceptable. Now, you you we can we can argue. As to why, why it happened. I mean, all of a sudden, come March and April, you have all these people who are, are thrown out of their jobs through no fault of their own. The system, which had been antiquated and, you know, it it wasn't, wasn't just antiquated under Governor Tony Evers. It was antiquated under Scott Walker. It was antiquated under, um, Jim Doyle. And so it, it, the problems go back a long time, but the system was just absolutely and totally overwhelmed because it never anticipated that all of a sudden you're going to have Tens of thousands of people who are suddenly unemployed. Now, having said that, I think we should all be able to agree that the response of the Department of Workforce Development was terrible, just absolutely terrible terrible and to the point that they ended up having to fire the the guy who was in charge and and they still haven't dug out of the backlog they're they're saying maybe by the end of the year which would be the end of this month you know maybe we can have most of these things resolved but that's that's very small consolation to people who you know were waiting months and months and months and your application was just in this giant pile and you, you couldn't get answers and you couldn't get anybody to pay attention to you so, I mean, I, th- I think we, we can all agree without necessarily placing blame that the response of the State Department of Workforce Development was, was just abysmal. It just you have to do better than that. All right. So here's the breaking news story today people are finally getting paid even though there's still tens of thousands of people who are entitled to money who haven't gotten money but they're they're theoretically they're in the queue to get paid well here's the story about 62,000 unemployed Wisconsin residents who put in for various benefits have apparently been overpaid between April and October to the tune of 44 million dollars now, now 44 million dollars is a ton of money at the same time you know given the fact that that ultimately they they've ended up paying out like 4.2 b as in billion dollars 44 million it is percentage wise it's small but it's still it's 44 million dollars so what's happening now is the department of workforce development is trying to collect money that they say was incorrectly paid out to people. And the stories that I'm looking at, apparently they're not doing a very good job of that. For example, um, today's TMJ4 reporting that um, there's a, a woman who lives in Illinois, worked in Wisconsin, says that she got asked, I got a letter demanding that she pay back $16,200 in overpayments. She says, well, um, I never got $16,000. Said, I got, I got a couple hundred dollars in benefits over like a three week period. Now they want $16,200. So I said, I, I never, I, I never got that money. So, um, you know, assuming the woman's telling the truth, that is kind of adding insult to injury that, okay, you, you didn't get the money, but we want you to give us $16,000, um, more. Most of the stuff is, I think, going to be in the smaller categories. And that would be, you know, a couple hundred dollars up to a thousand or a couple, up to two thousand. But here's the interesting issue. What do you do? I mean, if, as a general rule, you know, you shouldn't be able to, Benefits from mistakes. I mean, if if the bank, if your bank makes a mistake, you know, somehow somebody mistypes a deposit in, you know, you put in $600 and uh, the teller, you know, adds an extra zero and puts $6,000 in, and, it, and they made that mistake, well, your bank is going to, once they figure out that they made that mistake, they're going to take that money back from you, right? I mean, you're, they're, they're not going to say, okay, well, here, you get an extra $5,400. bucks." they are not going to do that. In this case, though, what do you do? Our number, let's take a couple calls, 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just a couple of minutes before the, the top of the hour. But assuming it is the state that made the mistake, now it, and again, I, I'm differentiating that if you if you falsified stuff or put incorrect information on your application for unemployment, and and you got paid more than you were entitled to because of faulty information that you put in or something like this, to me, I think it's pretty clear you you, you got to pay it back. You know, if 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 it's based if the what the state did was legitimate based on incorrect information that you provided. I think you gotta pay it back. But what if they made the mistake? What if the mistake was part of the just general mess that was the Department of Workforce Development and that you, you know, you ended up getting $500 more than you would otherwise be entitled for to? Should you have to pay that back? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And I guess my thinking is, if it's the state that made the mistake, and if it is not an, an obvious mistake, an obvious mistake being, hey, I was supposed to get $400, they sent me $16,000. But if if it's on the state, if it's the state that made the mistake, and it's something that you should not necessarily have known about, I have a tough time trying to collect it from somebody who's been out of work for four, five, six months. Now, again, I, I differentiate that between the people who... If, if if somebody provides bad information to the state and all of a sudden gets more than they're entitled to, to me, that's the different story. Okay, Jeff, here's a couple of texts. Of course it should be paid back. It's, it's not yours. Um, well, it, it, it's not. But again, if under these circumstances, if it's a mistake that the state made that you shouldn't know about, do you collect? Jeff, let people pay it back at a rate of $20 per month until it's, uh, paid off people made purchasing decisions based on the amount of benefits the state was giving them it's not like the average person took their unemployment check and invested in the stock market the money was likely spent and gone the same week that it was received jeff yes you'd have to pay it back maybe set up a payment program um let's see jeff um you know uh, so 855 that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand the concept of having to pay it back. And if it's large amounts of money, I guess that's how I would look at it. If it's a relatively small amount of money and it's through no fault of your own I think I'd have a tough time if I was a state trying to go back and and collect three hundred bucks here or there for people. Candidly, it's probably worth it would probably cost you more to try to collect the three hundred bucks than it would be to just allow the person to keep it. But this is a decision that's going to have to be made, and I guarantee you, some people are not going to be happy. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to
1: the show. There is a very intriguing story in today's Journal Sentinel involving a, a dispute going on in, in Maple Bluff, out out in Madison. And I, I just I thought we'd spend one segment on it because I am curious as to. What you think the result of this should be? Now, now, it's in the court. So here, here's the deal. It, it, it involves things called easements, and, and what an easement is is it, it's the it, it's it's a right that somebody has to use somebody else's property for a specific purpose. Um, you know, for for example, um, you can you could own property. And let's say they want to put up telephone poles. Okay, well, what would happen is that the the telephone company would get would get an easement to allow them to put telephone poles up. Um, in a private context, a lot of times it has to do with um, let's say there's a public beach. And the public beach, access to it, the only way you can get access to the public beach would be by by a path, for example, over somebody's property. Well, that would be an easement. It would be that people have the right to walk on the path. The the path doesn't belong to you. The path belongs to Jeff. But there's an easement. And normally, these are written into the deeds and things like that. There's an easement that says, "Okay, you know, people that live in this neighborhood have the right to walk on this path to get down to the beach." Okay, so that's how an easement would work. So here's the deal: out, out in Maple Bluff, for going on like a hundred years, there has been there's been this this small uh, little piece of property that's that's right on on the lake. And what's happened over the years is, you know, people have have come and they've like, what they've done is they, this little piece of property on, on the lake that otherwise doesn't have private access. And what people have started doing, and they've been doing this for years and years, is they put up a little pier. People from the, the area around the lake um, who don't have lake access themselves come in and they put in a little like L shaped pier on this little piece of, of property and then what they'll do is they'll use it as uh, the, they'll like use it to put their boats down there or they'll go and they sit on the pier and they'll fish and they'll do things like that apparently the the, the land it's not a beach. It's like really rocky and stuff like that. So you could walk down there and people would have a right to walk down there, but it's not going to, um, you're really not going to be able to use it. It's like rocks. It's, it's, it's not necessarily usable, but for the pier. So there's been this pier that's been in there for, for, again, going on a 100 years. And what happens is people will put it in at the beginning of the boating season, and they'll take it out at the end of the boating season, and they'll use it to sit and watch fireworks and all all those things. So that's been going on for a long time. Well, what happens is the the owner of this this piece of property, um, who's owned it for years and years and years, stops paying tax on it. So what the community does is that the tax assessors put it up for auction. So this other guy comes in and, and he buys it, buys this piece of property that's down there. Now, he understands that, you know, people have access. They have the right to have access to the lake. So he says, well, I, I'm not objecting to people going and, and standing on the property. But this year, when people put in the pier, he pulls out the pier. He says, no, that look, it, it's one thing to have an easement to say that you can, you can go down and you can, you know, come across my land or use my land so you can get to the water. He says, but that's different than saying that you can put up a pier on my land where you can dock your boats and things like that. So this matter is now going into litigation and there's there's lawsuits and I, I, you know, ultimately the courts are going to figure this out and, and decide, you know, who has the rights, but the guy owns the property and he's saying, look, I, I understand that people have the right to come down there and they can, they can access the, the beach from this little piece of property that I have, but I don't think that they should have the right to put a pier in on my piece of property. Now, from the perspective of, of the people who want the pier, they're saying, well, there's, there's no reason to come down here uh, unless you have the pier, because it's not like it's this beach or anything like that. And plus, we've been allowed to do this for like 100 years. Shouldn't we still be able to do it moving forward? Okay, let's open up the phone line. Just one segment, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who's right, in your opinion? Guy Guy owns the, the land now. He says, look, I, I understand public has access to, to the water. So if you want to walk down there and stand there, that's fine. But that's different than putting up a pier where you can put boats and sit out and fish off of that. You, you can't put a pier on my land. The folks are saying, well, we've been putting a pier on this piece of land for the last 100 years. We should have the right to do it moving forward. 855-616-1620. That's the Acinet Mortgage talk and text line. Does the guy that owns the land, does he have a point? We discuss in just a moment.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Now, again, it, the, the courts are ultimately going to decide this, and there's, there's a couple Supreme Court cases that, that might be instructive. But I'm just curious as to what you think. If you're just tuning in, I mean, here's the deal. Guy owns a piece of, had just bought a, a piece of property. They call it like Outlot D. And it, it's right on the water, out. In, in Madison, Maple Bluff residence. And what happens is, historically, what's happened is people have crossed over the property, they've gone down to this little outlot, lot, and, and they've used it for water access. And for years and years and years and years and years, they've been putting in a pier, which allows them to launch their boats and sit on the pier and fish, etc., the, the guy who now owns this piece of property is saying, he, saying wait a second, You know, y- yes, you have the right to come down and, and use the property, you got, you got access, but you don't have a right to put a pier in there. That That's that's going too far, and I don't care if you've been doing it for the last 80 years, this is my property, you can't put a pier on it. Eight, five, and of course, everybody else says, well, if we can't put a pier on it, then, then we really can't use it because we need this to get our boats in the water and we want to be able to sit out and fish. If you don't have the pier, you can't do any of that. Who's right? Who's wrong? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're first. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think?
4: I think that I'd have to agree with him. Um, that's the whole idea behind private property. Um, there's also a liability issue. If they're putting something on his property and something happens, he might be liable for that. Um, it does suck for the people who have been doing it for a long time. I understand where they're coming from. Perhaps... They could all, you know, have a meeting or something like that, but I'd have to side with him. Mm-hmm.
1: What if, now, the argument, though, is going to be, hey, we've been, we have, we've been doing this for the last 80 or 90 years. This has been the public access. Um, how, how can somebody just come along right away and, and suddenly say, okay, all this stuff that you've been doing for 80 or 90 years, you can no longer do?
4: You know, it's funny. When I first started hearing the story, I had just turned on the radio and, um, You know, in Chicago, we have this thing in the wintertime where people put chairs in the (laughs) box that they carve out and then they think it's theirs for the winter, which is absolutely untrue. And there's kind of like an unwritten rule. Right. Um, If the city ever wanted to enforce that, they could say no way. And I, you know, (laughs) they would be right. Right. Um, In this case, the guy is technically right.
1: Yeah. What do they call? They call that dibs. Isn't it called in Chicago dibs? Yeah. right yeah,
4: yeah that's the unofficial
1: uh, term <laughs> yeah no thank you I re- yeah i remember that that's the idea that you go out and you you got street parking in front of your house you shovel out your that parking space and then you can put like a folding chair or, or something in it and that you have dibs on that parking space because you you shoveled it out an unwritten rule 855 okay who's going to win this eric in caledonia eric you're on wtmj good afternoon
2: hi jeff hi, Eric. i've got some questions to go with it too um i'm a real estate appraiser so i come across these kinds of easements all the time right and typically they involve a subdivision uh where people have a right to use that easement to get to a a beach or set with piers. right so my first question is what the language with the easement is it for the subdivision or is it for the general public um the other issue i would have here is if he bought this property knowing that's been going on? I kind have to lean towards the public use. I mean, mm-hmm. you knew they've been sending a pier up there for years and years and years, right. Using this easement. Now you come in and you buy the property, and you're you're essentially taking away part of what's been the accepted use of that easement, right? I, I don't. I think he has the weaker side of the case.
1: Okay. What if? What if in addition to the the pier? they decided that they wanted to put up, you know, it would be, it would be nicer if we had a, a lean-to or a little pavilion or, or something or a changing room or something like that. And, and what if, in addition to the pier, they started to put that on? Would that change your thinking at all?
2: Um, well, again, it would come down to if there's any language limiting uh, use in the easement document. Uh, if there is right. uh, no such verbiage, I'd say, well, that's a new use. Yeah. Uh as opposed to an existing use. And then he would have stronger footing to limit that. Right. That would be be my right. Opinion.
1: Interesting. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Eight five five six one six. I'm just curious as to what people think about this. Now ultimately, like I say, the matter's gonna be decided by the courts. It's clearly the guy's property. He he owns the property, he bought it. Um he understands that people have the right to use it for lakefront access but he's saying it, it hey if you want to come down here and you know jump in the water and go swimming that that's that that's fine but that's different than putting a, a pier up on essentially what is my property and tying boats to it and fishing off it yeah if you, if you want to stand on the rocks on the beach and I don't get the idea that it's a very nice beach or anything it's just kind of like this rocky thing and the people who've been using this for years and years are saying hey look there's there, there other than putting a pier in there, there there's really no there, there's no reason that you would use it it's not like you kind of just you could go down there and stand there but it but the thing that really gives it its value is the pier let's talk to to, uh, Tony in Milwaukee. Hi, Tony. You're in WTMJ. Tony. Okay, let's try Tom. Uh, Dousman. Tom, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Tom. Uh, I- I'm thinking if he's paying the property taxes on it... Which he is. It, it, it's his property. Um, he can, you know, let people in, but they can't take over the property. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of the way I look at it. Well, I mean, you of course... Know, it's of course, been that
2: way for years.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, been, it's that been that, for that way for decades. for years, you know, but you can't take over the property. They're not paying the property taxes. He right. is.
1: He is, yes. So, okay. No, thank, thanks. Well, I mean, there, there's no question about it. he is. Now, again, the, the whole idea with, with easements is that... You know, you own the property and you pay the property taxes, but still people ha- have an access. You know, people can cross over on your on your land, on your path to like our first caller or second caller. The real estate guy was saying, you know, to to get access to the the beach or or whatever. So, I mean, there are these things like easements, but you're absolutely correct. He's he's paying for it. Um Jeremy and Racine, Jeremy, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi. I I'm in favor for the uh, property owner on this one because it's one thing to allow people to get to the beach. It's yep. Another thing when they start setting up camp and things like that. And the question I have is if, if let's say a, a kid goes down there and hangs out and falls underneath the the, uh, the right Jum- the jumps up, jumps drowns. off
1: the pier and drowns. Jump jumps off the pier, right. hits their I- head and drowns. Okay, right,
2: yeah. Exactly, and is, is the property owner going to be held liable for such things like that? So, yeah, yeah. You know, I can understand where he's coming from. I mean, there's a liability possibility, and you know, it is his property.
1: Yeah, yeah. Basically, I, look, I I am not making a prediction on how this is going to turn out. As a matter of fact, there's there, there's a, a Supreme Court case, and, it, and again, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but there, there's a Supreme Court case from about twenty years ago where the Supreme Court said that this this Green Lake couple who had constructed a dock on an easement could keep it after the landowners objected. So, but it's a little bit different from 20 years ago. Having said all that, and again, I'm making no prediction on the law, that'll figure it out. If you're just asking me what's right and wrong, my gut reaction is, I don't think you should have an, an easement to me is like it's it's a way of getting from one place to another you know it's like okay you can. i've got a piece of landlocked property so i've got an easement that lets me go across your driveway so i can get out to the public road it doesn't give me a right to build a garage on on your property and i guess that's kind of when i'm thinking about this again the, the lawyers are figured out I'm, I'm not rendering a legal opinion but i'm thinking it's it's one thing to say, all right, you, you get to use my property or walk over my property to get to the water. It's another thing to say you get to put a structure on my property so you can enhance your use of the water. To me, that that's not what I think of, of easements as, as being. I mean, it's a it's a way you cross my property, that's fine. Come on down to the the lake. Across my property, I, I get the right that you have the right to do that. But that doesn't mean you get to build a, a structure on there. Now, I, again, I, I think the landowner, if you were asking me, at least based on, on what I think the, the precedent is out there, I think the landowner is is fighting an uphill battle because I think the courts are more likely to say, hey, this pier has been there for years and years and years, and it's the public right, and, and as long as you just keep it as a pier – you're, you're going to have a right to do it I, I think he's fighting an uphill battle, but that doesn't mean it's not necessarily a battle worth fighting because again i i what if somebody had wanted to go down there and say okay we're going to build a pavilion or we're going to build a changing room or we're going to do all these other things to me, a pier is a structure an easement gives you the right to get to the water, but it doesn't say that you have a right to put things on somebody else's land that enhances their use. Now, again, that's not a prediction as to how it's all going to work out, but I thought this was kind of interesting the way it all developed. And like I say, the landowner is saying, I I, I don't think people should be able to put a pier on my land. Just, I, I think intuitively, I think that's the right answer, but it not, might very well not be how the courts decide this. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.